Vivian Jackson is a Rita finalist. I'm going to be saying that a lot. <laughs> Hello, everyone. This is Julia, and this is the Bliss Tour. In this episode, I'm talking to Rita finalist Vivian Jackson, author of Wanted and Wired, which is, you guessed it, a finalist for the Rita Award in Paranormal Romance, the Romance Writers of America's highest honor for a published novel. Perfect Gravity, the second book in the series, is out, and the audiobook of Perfect Gravity was released yesterday. Viv and I talk about what it takes to make a world feel lived in, the increasing popularity of science fiction romance, and how great it is that Viv is a Rita finalist. <laughs> She's gonna kill me. All right, let's get started. Hi, I'm Vivian Jackson, and I write stories with kissing scenes. There's really nothing interesting about me. I have dogs and kids, and I play a lot of computer games and read a lot of books. So that's all of me. <laughs> there, there are a couple of interesting things about you. So uh, you write books with kissing, one of them, two of them, Wanted and Wired and Perfect Gravity. Those are the first two. And Wanted and Wired is currently a finalist for the Rita. I'm very excited oh for God. you. I know. I knew you weren't <laughs> going to mention it. That's why I wrote it down to say <laughs> Wanted and Wired has final for a Rita. And if you're listening and you don't know what a Rita is, RWA, Romance Writers of America, has an award uh, each year for published novels, whether they're... Uh, traditionally published or uh, self-published, indie published. They also have another contest for unpublished manuscripts, but that's another story. We won't get into that. But Wanted and Wired is one of the finalists. And uh, that is something interesting about you. Do you remember anything about that day when they called and said, hey, you finaled? Uh, yes, I had. Um, so I knew what day it was because our uh, local chapter, um, Austin RWA meeting was the night before. And our president said, hey, tomorrow is the day that they're going to make the calls. And I was like, oh, man, I, I was really trying not to know that. So <laughs> so after I dropped off the kids at school, I got home and I had my coffee and I was just going to settle in to not think about it for a long time. Yeah. And uh, and then I got a call and the lady told me a thing that I could not believe and I did not believe and um, and I didn't want to tell anybody until because I kept going to the the website and it wasn't updated yet and I thought well maybe I totally imagined it like totally just like <laughs> thought it up and so I texted my critique partner and said I think they just called me but I really don't know and so don't tell anybody yet <laughs> and so she was completely freaking out and um, she was probably like you're insane <laughs> You imagined a phone conversation. Well, you know, I wouldn't put it past my brain. <laughs> but, but then it did go up on the website. And, uh, and then I just sat there and cried. I, it was so bizarre. I'm not a crier. I'm not an emotional person yeah. very much. And uh, it was so outside of the normal for me, the whole thing. I believe that. I, I think it's... Part of it is um, 
you know, when you see people, uh, teams, sports teams do well, and, and they're just, they're so overcome with emotion. Yeah. I don't think it's because they're sitting there thinking, I did such a good job. I think it's, they're sitting there thinking, my peers think I'm okay. Mm. You know, this, I don't know, this individual sort of moment is not really an individual moment at all. It's a, oh my God, I have a place within this peer community of writers and people who I admire and wow, they let me into their club <laughs> kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. Like I put all this work into it. I put it out in the world and then we'll see what happens. But at the same time, this awesome, awesome things ha- thing happens that's never happened before. And so the right. first time something really, really good happens, maybe I think people doubt it at first. Like, this is a mistake. How did that happen? But it's not because I've read it. <laughs> and I'm sure that's part of imposter syndrome. And I've you know, heard lots of people talk about imposter syndrome. Yeah. And, oh, it's totally a thing. <laughs> uh, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is world building because Wanted and Wired and Perfect Gravity, um, your first two books are sci-fi romance, science fiction romance. I, I'm going to say there's not a lot of that. There's not a lot of it that I know about, I think. And tell me if you think I'm wrong, and I could very well be wrong. I, I find more fantasy romance, more paranormal, well, definitely more paranormal romance, even now when supposedly it's out of uh, fashion. Yeah, I wanted to talk, yeah, I wanted to talk to you about world building, building a, a, a scientific world or b- building a fantasy world, just how you go about doing that, because... Wanted and Wired is uh, partially set in Texas, but it's a Texas that seceded, has its own government, and then like the United States is no longer the United States. And they're just like all these different, I guess, social cultural levels of world building. I mean, you are building a world before you even get to the characters and what they're doing and their relationship and how they fall in love. Um, so what are your, what's your process for building a world? What's your process for, you know, figuring out how, what the world is and how your characters live in, in it or the opposite direction, who your characters are and what kind of world they live in? I think that I've taken a lot of classes and read a lot of blogs and stuff about world building. And there's a general con- kind of consensus that you need um, to cover these sort of sort of social and um, lifestyle topics, right? And and you need to have all of this thought out, and you do. But the important thing is not that you have it all thought out, but that you have it all lived in so that it bubbles up through the information and it feels like a real world. Oh, um, okay. Say that. Say more about that. Lived in. Yeah, it's it's the the little things that build the world because uh, honestly, having read either of my books or both of them, I bet you don't know an awful lot about how the government is put together or what the transportation system is uh, overall or what the rest of the world looks like in terms of socio political or geopolitical structures or any of that stuff. Okay, I'm but, gonna I'm gonna interrupt you for a second. I have yeah. to say it feels like I know a lot. But now that you've said that, I don't really. But when I was reading slash listening to it, I feel like I knew 
the politics that were that were there. But go ahead. Yay! Yay! So <laughs> well, you fooled good. me. That's, yay! Because I know all of that. I have all these notes and, and maps that I've drawn and timelines and all this stuff. But if you put any of that into a story, then you're info dumping yeah. and people get so bored. I've gotten so bored <laughs> reading books over the years because yeah. of these wonderful, fully realized worlds. And I don't need to know them about them. All I need to know is what my character is having for breakfast because that informs sourcing of food the transportation of materials, organization of um, society in, in, a, in a government kind of way. So, you know, what you're able to get, if you're able to get uh, fresh food, uh, fresh food um, mm-hmm. out of season, that means that, you know, you have things coming in, things going. Anyway, technology, it informs level of technology, it informs so much just to know that your characters have bacon for breakfast. And, and it's an unusual thing, Right. But also, especially food, these little things like what you wear, uh, what you eat, um, how you get from one point to another. So food, transportation, clothing, uh, where you live. Yeah. Uh, those, are the, those are the ways that you touch a, a built world. And the neat thing about world building, and I, I see it in every book I read, the best books, and it doesn't even matter what genre they're in, have exquisite world building because they do these things. They show me what the characters eat, how they live, what they wear. And that is who the character is. And it's also who the story is, because the story has a theme or a personality or whatever. I've been reading a lot of historicals lately. So uh, I think of Mm. um, uh, world building in terms of historical examples that I've read recently. I read um, Beverly Jenkins' Uh, forbidden uh-huh. yes and the, uh, the uh, heroine is a, a cook and she wants to be a cook and a, a bit you know she wants to be like a professional cook she's she's a, a very good cook but um a lot of who she is you can kind of tell by what she cooks and and how she does it and her just methodical process of making things and oh there was a book not too long ago um what they carried or something like that that talked about um, the, the things that, that people uh, carried when, uh, from one place to another uh, mm-hmm. on a, a, a trek, a migration of some sort or something, and that being reflective of who they were and what their story is. And this heroine in, in Forbidden, um, Edie, she doesn't have much. I mean, she's, she can only take what she can carry, and she takes her little cook stove. And that's all we really need to know about her. It's so... We don't have to know all of the details about how she learned to cook and all All we have to know is that this is so intrinsic to her and what she is and who she is and what she wants. And it was just a really powerful object slash image slash, you know, um, world building piece for me. It totally set up the character in my mind. And I didn't need to know all of the backstory detail info dumping. All I needed to yeah. see was this image, right? You know, um, we get that in like a movie like The Force Awakens when Rey at the beginning is making her dinner that she's uh, turned in the junk and traded for these little food cubes that she like rehydrates or whatever. And so we can see yeah. how sustenance happens on this sort of um, planet of scarcity and um, how far down in the social food chain she is literally 
and, um, you know, what her date. And there's a lot about her and her world and also the theme of the movie that's in that one little scene. Anyway, I, I just think that that the what you eat, what you wear and how you get from place to place are the the great ways to bubble up all of this backstory information that you've collected. That's that's so interesting because I I write mostly contemporary romance, chiclet, women's fiction, rom-com. We still haven't figured out what to call it. Um, <laughs> that informs, I can see how that informs contemporary because I'm sitting here thinking, how do they get around? How do, what do they wear? Where do they live? What food do they eat? It tells you, in a, even in a contemporary non fantasy sci-fi setting it tells you a lot about the characters and so you would do you're doing the same basically for a world that you're building exactly well like in um for real i know you like the book Uh, (laughs) do you (laughs) i love it but um but uh, that's one of the the love languages that's that's how um ah, i forgot his name toby Uh, not not laurie toby yes um that's how he expresses himself and and his relationship to other people by making them eggs yes. right it's uh, the the whole egg thing is so romantic it's yes. like a love language but it, and, and uh, also when he shows up in his his swanky suit you know that his granddad helped him uh, pick out mm-hmm. and he looks awesome and so it's again it comes back to what you eat what you wear and how you get from place to place i think these are powerful things that i think Early on in writing, I was tempted to kind of gloss over these things, you know, to get to the meat of the story, the plot points, right? Yeah. The dialogue. I think I'm learning more about how to put these kinds of things in to tell an awful lot with just like a sentence or an object or, you know? A few words. Exactly. Okay, I had another question. And it's based on me because really these interviews are all about me. But... (laughs) That was supposed to be funny. Oh, my God. Dude, the world is all about you. <laughs> it is. But I had, so I also write, I guess most of it's fantasy, not really sci-fi. You know, it's basically the world we're living in now. And, like, there's something hinky going on in the corner in somebody's house or in someone's relationship or something like that. And I don't, I, I you know, I've read urban fantasy. I think... Is there such a thing as urban sci-fi? But I've read urban fantasy and just working on the levels of depth. How, how do you know when to pull back? How do you know when something is too much and or something is not enough? So I'm still learning these things. And I think maybe we always are. <laughs> okay, I'm not yeah. sure I'm ever going to get it right. But that's a lot of what my... Uh, editor's notes were at the very beginning ah. uh, was I don't know you know I don't understand where this comes from and so um, add some information about the you know the Texas uh, government here and at the time I was thinking oh my god that's gonna slow down pacing like crazy and it kind of does uh, it's a little slow in parts at the beginning because I'm I'm, I'm spooling a whole bunch of world building there and trying not to do it in an info dumpy way. I'm not sure that first book succeeds completely 100%. But, uh, you know, again, just keep trying to stab at it. 
I think the important thing is to for the author to know all of these things. Yeah. Right. And then for somebody else to say, I don't get it. When the when the beta reader or the editor says, I don't get it, then the author's like, and, you know, bingo, I have that information. Here it is. You know, and you can gotcha. slide that in. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I was just thinking this world is so deep. I was also thinking there's no, I should really stop writing <laughs> sci-fi fantasy. I should just give up because like I was saying, it's, I have a thin veneer of fantasy on top of the, the real world. But then when you were talking, I was thinking, no, I should be doing this for all of my writing because all of those things, the food they eat, how they get around, the clothes they wear, that tells you a lot about people. Another question I had was because I thought about you when I read this. Have you read? I'm sure you have. You're on Twitter. You all, you have all the news. But Kit Roca, is it Roca or Rocha? I'm going to say Roca. Kit Roca. I don't know how she pronounces it or they pronounce it, but they're pretty awesome. Yeah, they are pretty awesome. There, they write the Beyond series and the spinoff, which is the Gideon's writers. Uh, series. And I'm telling you all this because they just got a contract with Tor. Did you know that? I did see that. I'm so happy for them. I'm really happy for them. And the reason I'm saying it is I I looked at it and it looks like they're still going to be writing romance for Tor. So it seems like sci-fi romance is opening up. Do you know what I mean? Because I don't think Tor, and again, tell me if I'm wrong, but I don't think Tor publishes any romance. They have in the past. They have? Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, they published a few books from um, Sharon Lynn Fisher, Ghost Planet, and Echo 8. I think they did both of those. Uh, there was another one that I really liked about alien bug boys, um, which is awesome. <laughs> but, but, but these are all very in the SFR. It's, it's a romance with scientific things, right? Or science fiction things. Also, just recently, uh, Orbit published Catherine Servany's uh, Rule of Luck and Chaos of Luck. And those are very SFR, futuristic tarot card reading, heroin, pretty cool um, world building there. Tarot but, um, card reading? That's pretty cool. Yeah. So that's Orbit, which you would think, you know, I had been sort of led to believe that Orbit was like really hardcore sci-fi. You know, it was not going yeah. to have any kissing but there's some kissing in those books. There and, are. Um, yeah. And so I think a lot of the boys clubs are maybe maybe opening up a little bit. Yeah. And, and realizing that, you know, we don't really need all of the characters to stay two feet away from each other at all times. <laughs> um, yeah, because I, when I read that, I thought about you and I just thought that might be... I, I, I feel like romance is two steps forward a giant leap back, <laughs> then two more steps forward, then another step forward, then one step back, then in terms of getting it into, I don't know what to call it, because I don't want to say mainstream reading, because it's the mainstream of reading. But I guess getting people who are not known for it to realize that there's substance there, and does that make any sense? It may not. Uh, I think that you're right, that, that there is a vector, but it's not straight. It's um, not straight, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of zigzaggy. And Maybe zigzaggy. Is... 
we do have some steps back and then some steps forward. But like, um, how long was it that uh, that Nalini Singh published the first side chain? That was years and years ago. Um, yeah. But that's SFR, and I don't know. I guess it kind of wimps out a little bit because there's the shifters, right? Which is what already had a nice tradition and everything. Mm-hmm. But um, but the sides are definitely SFR. I mean, that's, yeah. That's that's my realm, right there. Yeah. Um, no, you're and, right. And that was a uh, kind of groundbreaking. But then we didn't really go forward from there. And I really sort of would have expected us to go full force into SFR, which is a happy place for all of the women. And there's a lot of women. Uh-huh. who um, grew up on Star Wars and grew yep. up on Star Trek and, and watched Doctor Who and yep. um, are totally into the whole science fiction experience. And we go to cons and we cosplay and we're, we play games and we're in, you know, building guilds and MMOs. And, you know, we're, we're there, but there isn't really fiction for us. And I think, but th- there is, but we have to look for it real hard. And so it's really nice that some of these bigger publishers are taking a chance on SFR because for a long time, the majority of SFR has been um, indie or fan fiction. (laughs) What do you think your greatest influences are in terms of world building? Books you've read or uh, fan fiction, TV, movies? Where do you, where, where do you think if not greatest, but what are what are some of your influences for building a world? Well, I hmm. I knew I wanted to build a world when I was in sixth grade, and I read the Silmarillion, and uh, which was uh, by J.R.R. Tolkien. Okay. And I had already read uh, the Lord of the Rings, but when I read the Silmarillion, uh, it really posits that this is the real, this is our world, and it was just. Uh, tens of thousands of years ago that that these epic stories happened. And I was like, oh, wow, it's really happened, you know, it's real history. And then uh-huh. the, the whole language and there's, um, like I said, tens of thousands of years of, of um, legendary stories. And there's a creation myth, uh, not just one language, but at least three that I can think of that I tried to learn when I was a youngling and crazy. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> You know, uh, there was just so much there, and I will never in my whole life be able to approach that kind of world building, but it's so magical that it exists, that he spent so much time and painstaking care with it. So that's, at any rate. <laughs> so and at an early age, you were like, what if it's this? What if yes. I go down that hole and it's not just a random snake because you're in Texas, but it's another world. <laughs> right? Exactly. I played this um, this tabletop a paper pencil role-playing game a long time ago called Earth Dawn that was very similar. Uh, you know, you're playing in this world and there's elves and there's magic and there's um, giant dudes who are made of uh, rocks called obsidian and all of this stuff going on, the typical fantasy world. And then you start looking at the maps and some of the names on the maps and you realize where the elves are from is called Thera and the world is being um, overtaken by magic in a bad way by horrors like Cthulhu kind of horrors. Yeah. And, and clearly this, um, this realm is, is, is going to be 
destroyed soon. And and then all of a sudden you just had this real eureka moment of, oh my gosh, that's there. That's Atlantis. That's It's going to get sunk. And that's my world. Oh, is that, so is this a game? It is a game. It's a role-playing game. Earth Dawn. Earth. I don't even know if it's in publication anymore. <laughs> but it's really fantastic. I, I love that sort of that moment of identification with this is my world is just totally radically different. And you get that with a lot of second world stories. Like, I don't know if you read uh, Charlene Harris's Southern Vampires, Second World. Uh, second World means that there's something else going on right here. And, and you have that moment of, holy cow, that is my world. But there's all this other, other richness stuff. to it that I had no okay. idea. I listened to your interview i think it was with grave tales yes infatuated i can't remember the other person who was being interviewed i understood 40 percent of it somehow i missed all of the gaming all of the fan fiction all of all of these things when i don't know what i was doing when i was younger or even young but it wasn't I, the Probably last had friends <laughs> I had friends, I guess. Maybe. I don't know. If someone's just starting out and they want to write sci-fi fantasy, would you encourage them to do games? What kind of games would you encourage them to do? Would you encourage them to read and write fan fiction? How, for a writer just starting out, loves science fiction, wants to write science fiction, what would you... What would you say do other than write? Like where Man, can you... I think there are so many entry points. Um, when I was in college and I thought, I want to write science fiction. I wrote a short story and I workshopped it. And, um, and then I thought about submitting it, but I never did. Um, to um, short story uh, magazines, amazing stories, mm-hmm. those guys, those kinds of publications, because that was what I was told. That's how you build a science fiction writing career as you write short stories, you get a few published, you get an agent and then you write a book, a novel. Mm-hmm. And, um, that wasn't really, um, as it turned out my, my path. <laughs> okay. Um, so I'm hesitant to tell anybody that there's any certain path that's going to work for them. Um, All right. I think, Find the the space in the world that you love and figure out why you love it. And when you figure out what you love and why you love it, um, then you can write a story about that. And and uh, like Shauna McGuire, who um, writes kind of urban fantasy kind of stuff mostly. Yeah, fantasy, I think. fantasy. Yeah. Anyway, um, she's a pretty ex- exceptional writer. Um, had a a tweet recently where our tweet tweet thread recently where she talked about how fan fiction is a particularly useful path into writing for women because it's, I mean, there's kerfluffles, but it's a very supportive community of other women who um, understand the kinds of things that women are looking for in stories and aren't afraid of being, being girls, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and there's no heckling and there's no, well, there's some heckling, but, you know, I'm saying you can form your community and, and it can be any size that you want it to be. And uh, I'm not sure that men approach 
creative endeavor the same way. Um, because my husband is a creative and I was writing fan fiction for years and it was really stressful for him or really frustrating for him because he was like, why don't you write real stuff that you can make money off of? That's not why I write things. <laughs> and I was getting what I needed out of the fan fiction community. So that's why I was doing it. And I think if you can find a community where you're getting what you need out of it, uh, if it's fan fiction, if it's role playing, if it's, um, you know, playing a, a game on Xbox with your community, if you're connecting with the people and telling the stories that you need to tell, and that's, that's your way in. That is a really good point. I never thought about that. Instead of starting with, I'm going to write this and make a bunch of money. And, I, and I'm assuming some people do that, but so many writers I admire, so many really good writers started out writing fan fiction. And I'm sort of jealous because I think that, I think writing fan fiction is sort of like an art student going to a museum and painting a masterpiece. And then just as it is, and then painting it again with variations and then painting it again with more variations until it becomes something very different from that, that old masterpiece. Does that make sense? Does that analogy make sense to you? It, yes. It, and it's, it's exactly like that. So you take Star Trek, right? Mm -hmm. And it's, um, it, it's very, we, we all know what Star Trek is. But say you're um, a kid who's uh, curious about their own sexuality, and so you overlay your own questions about the world onto this world that everybody else knows. It's a place to, to sort of let that seep in and affect the Star Trek world. And then you can kind of, by, by storying in, yeah. in this new world that has your overlay on it, you can sort of explore the things that are, you know, interesting to you, um, that are identifying for you, that are empowering for you. I tend to write about kind of prickly women um, who don't, are kind of socially inept. <laughs> yeah. And so they're not quite as relatable as all that, but that's me. Mm -hmm. I'm not them, but that, that part of me is, is there, uh, trying to interface with these worlds that I've cr created that are just my world with a twist. So it's basically it's me trying to interface with my world. And I think that maybe what most writing is, is the author trying to interface with their world and maybe adjusting our world to make it someplace where we can feel okay. Oh, <laughs> that's I think that's major. It's like it's not only do you have a community that you can write in, you're literally creating the world you want to live in or, yeah. or, or I guess if it's dystopian, you're creating the world you don't want to live in and saying, that's not the world that's outside or of me or something like both. that. Or, okay. or a little bit of both. Right. So uh, in my future Texas, um, there's a lot that I don't want to happen, but there's a lot right. that I do want to happen. Okay. Um, and in my future, my hero has two moms and it is totally not a thing. It is just, and that's the world I want to live in. Yeah. Where it's totally not a thing. Of course he has two moms. Yeah. You know? That's part of that social construct. And you don't have to info dump about how everything started. And when laws were passed, he just talks about his moms. Yeah. 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 All right. All right. I'm going to get the hang of this world building thing. A couple more things. 
tell us what's coming up next for you. Uh, Wanted and Wired is out with the follow-up. Perfect Gravity is out. Is there another book in this series? There is a third book in the series. Um, I'm not really sure what is going to happen with it in its publication journey, okay. um, but it is done, and it's Ooh. Chloe's story, and it finishes out this, this sequence of events that, that, that started and, and wanted and wired. I don't really have any more information at this point. I don't even have a title, uh, and I'm not sure um, you know, when we'll get a, a title and a cover and a release, but absolutely um, tried to announce that as loudly as possible when it comes out because I loved writing Chloe. I loved writing Chloe from the very first scene with her, and she's kind of my center of this whole group, and she was a blast she's to write. special. <laughs> Wait, can I say, is, that, is it a spoiler if I say that she's free fae? No, go ahead. No, okay. Yeah, so I don't think that's a spoiler. Okay. She is oh. a sentient um, artificial intelligence chatbot. I <laughs> love the free fae. I want to get a, if I ever get a tattoo, I want it to be the, the fae tattoo that can move around. <laughs> I love that yeah. whole concept. They're actually like nanobots or nano technology yeah. things that I, again, I think I know, but I don't really know <laughs> from the book, but it's just like, yeah, I love that. Yeah. I can, I can see writing down that character and falling in love with that character and wanting to know every single thing about her and give her a happy ending. Which um, is not a spoiler because these are romances. So happy yeah. endings. Yes. yes. Not a spoiler. <laughs> happy endings. I mean, but I mean, she, but her existence, the, the free fae, that's an, that's another layer of, I was trying to write down the layers of world building going back to the original uh, question, the, the layers of, of world building. I think language, your voice is so strong. Um, I think in, in, um, I'm forgetting your name, Mari. Yeah. The first book. Her yeah. voice is so strong. I, I'm reading it and I'm like, this person is from Texas. And yes, I know she mentioned being from Texas. But before I even saw the word Texas, I was like, her voice is so strong. And I thought about that voice, character voice, language, surnames, in addition to uh, the diversity of people, if that's something you do and that is something you do. Uh, biology, sex, how people have sex, what they think, not just how they have it, but what they think about sex. Those are all big world building things or world building elements that I, that I could pick out from, from your books. And I'm bringing that These up. These are important things to me mm-hmm. and they might not be as important to some other writer. And that's why we're writing different stories, you know, I really believe that the world building needs to be a reflection of what you're trying to to do thematically and character wise. When is your audiobook for Perfect Gravity going out? I'm going to force you to promote yourself if it's the last thing I do. <laughs> oh my goodness! I need to look it up. That's that look terrible? it up because uh, Wanted and Wired is out. Yes, and it's voiced by. Joanna Parker. Yes. She is awesome. She's so she does awesome. she did the she did the they're not called True Blood. Yes. Well that's yeah. The that's True the Blood. series, but she did the Southern Vampires. Yes. Yeah. 
the Southern Vampires, she did those books. So that is awesome. <laughs> yeah, and she's so cool. And she's she's really good, yeah. She's got um, several accents going on in that audio book. She does. The title, uh, Perfect Gravity, is going to be released on audio on June 5th, 2018. <gasps> That's so soon. Yeah. Perfect timing. I will definitely put a note of that in the show notes. And so last, no, not second to last question. What are you reading? Or what have you read that has rocked your world recently? This year, I read um, The Silent Corner by Dean R. Kuntz. Sarah, Sarah's reviews um, is how I know her on Twitter. Oh, I forget which uh, review site she works for, but she she had read The Silent Corner and she recommended it. And I thought, oh my gosh, I loved Dean Kuntz when I was 13. And I hadn't read <laughs> any of his books for years. And so I went out and got that one and it is so good. The Silent Corner, it's, it is it's a thriller, but it's also kind of an SFR, um, or actually not an R so much as it's mostly just a thriller, but it's, it's either near future or current day, but there's a lot of science stuff going on and conspiracies. And there is a, a love story, but, uh, and you know, right off that, that, uh, the main character Jane is a recent widow. So the love story really is with her deceased husband, but it's not oh. like he shows up. Right. So yeah. there's a lot of that. Unless romantic it's emotion there, but it's not, yeah, there's no kissing or anything. Yeah. <laughs> cool. All right. So my last question is, what's your idea of bliss? My idea of bliss. <sighs> I love my life and I love my family. And I love all of the organized chaos of pets and children and um, writing groups and um, things to do, but the most blissful thing I can think of is being all by myself in a very quiet room with a cup of coffee and a book and nobody to bother me for like three hours. <laughs> That's so awesome. <laughs> it's blissful. <laughs> Says the introvert. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Thank you for talking to me about world building your wanted and wired series that world is just so layered and deep and uh i wanted to talk to you about it thank you again (laughs) thank you again to vivian jackson author and rita finalist okay i'll stop now maybe probably not I'll have links to her books, Perfect Gravity and Wanted and Wired, and all the books we talked about on theblisstour.com. This interview is available on iTunes. Please leave a review or comment or both. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. The music you are listening to was provided by Jumendo, and this is Ambient M by Antony Rajakov. Thank you for listening. And let me know, what's your idea of bliss?
Vivian Jackson is a RITA finalist.